0: Good morning family. Everybody well? Can you hear me? Oh, well, there we go. Now I can hear myself. It's good to see you this morning and to be with you. Uh, despite the cold, uh, I know now it's feeling a little bit better. This morning at eight o'clock when I arrived at the South Church, it was cold, man. It was very cold. Uh, last week I just made a, just a, a comment and I just want to repeat that just for those of you that didn't hear it. It's, it's good to be able to just be in a a normal rhythm for a, for a while, and I think it. Hopefully, it'll be till the end of the year. The last two months over April, I travelled quite a bit and just visiting some of our key partners in different places and strengthening some of those relationships. And then the month of May was the One and was, we were quite involved with that and supporting that initiative in our city, and and that engaged me in many different places and sort of had the results that the that the rhythm that I would like to have in terms of just being here. Uh, wasn't able to do all of that, but now that's all done, and I'm really thankful and grateful to be in sort of a normal rhythm, and hopefully that, as I said, can continue on. And um, it's been really good, and I, we started this series that is entitled The Perfect Pattern last week on the on the book of Romans 12, and, and particularly that chapter. And I, I trust you've been reading through a little bit, those of you that have been become part of it, and um, I think this is a really key word for us as a community at this point in time to consider and cut something of the Father's heart towards us in this series, The Perfect Pattern, because I believe it's, it's about being transformed. And uh, last week I spoke about this wonderful thing that God wants to do in us is to transform us back into the original plan that He had for each and every one of us. Paul wrote the books of Roman, Romans, and he, he wrote it with, with this one purpose in mind. If you read Romans 1 verse 5, uh, he said that our purpose is to bring glory to God. Each of us were made by God to bring God glory. That word, in a, in a sense, means to reflect Him, to be Him, to represent Him. I, I think of when Jesus walked the earth, and He said, If you see, the, see me, you see the Father. That He became a reflection of the Father. He glorified God by being who God made him to be and to reflect God in that. And you and I, we were made in the image of God, to reflect him, to be the people that walk on this earth. And when he made Adam and Eve and he said, I, I, you know, rule the earth, we were meant to rule the earth in, as representatives of who our Father is, to reflect him. That was the original intent. We were made to glorify God. But unfortunately, because of sin and what happened in the Garden of Eden, we lost the glory of God. And we don't do a good job of representing Him anymore. So Jesus came, died on a cross, paid the price for our sin, and lived among us to return us back, to redeem us, to buy us back into that original intent which God had for us, which is to glorify Him. So Paul says in Romans 1, he says, our purpose is to glorify God. And in order to glorify God, there's two things we must have in our lives. Believe and obey. Believe and obey. So he writes the book of Romans with these two concepts in mind. Romans 1 to 11, he speaks about believing. What are the things we must believe in order to bring glory to God? We must believe that we're saved by grace and by grace alone, he teaches us. He teaches us about the the impact of Christ. And, and what it means to believe in Christ. And he establishes this thing, that our works will never save us, but it's our belief that saves us. In Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, he says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. What we must believe. And then Romans 12 on, where we are now busy with, he starts speaking about what you must do because of what you believe. Obey. And Romans 12, verse 1, we read last week, and I I want to read it with you again. I'm just giving you a little bit of a recap because I know many of you weren't here last week. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is good and pleasing and perfect will. So he says to us, because of what Christ has done for us, therefore our response needs to be worship. And worship is a living, what it means to worship is to live as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice is that person that says, Lord, it's not about me, it's about you. I'm not living my life for my glory, I'm living my life for your glory. If I'm going to return to the original intent to fulfill my purpose, if I'm going to live right there from the reason I'm created and tap into that, I have to understand that I am living for your glory to represent you. So Lord, I'm coming back to that. And I therefore sacrifice myself So that you can be glorified. I give you my life every day. Not only do I believe in what Christ has done for me, I now respond to that by allowing Christ to do through me that which glorifies God. And every day, that is my choice. In everything I do, I want to obey you, Lord, so that I can live for your glory. And last week we spoke about that word, obedience. Obedience if we obey in everything, we are a living sacrifice. And if we do that in our lives, then this wonderful thing happens where we are not conformed to the world, but transformed into that which God's intended for us, to the image of God. And we said last week that if you conform, it means to become a copy of that which is around you. To conform means to just... Be like everybody else. It's like giving into peer pressure. You lose your uniqueness when you conform because you become like the others. But when you transform, transformed, you become the unique person that God has called you to be. I said last week, imagine this, that God, when He thought of you before the creation of the world even, He drew up a little blueprint and He started drawing and designing you. And then He made you. Long before you were made, He dreamt of you. But then eventually He made you. And now in heaven there's your blueprint with a a code underneath it. And that code you will find on no other blueprint because you are unique. Only you can glorify God the way you can. And that's how He made us. He made each of us to bring something. To represent some unique aspect of who God is. And if we tie back into that by a life of obedience as a living sacrifice, we are being transformed the whole time back into the original unique plan that God has made for us. But if you conform to this world, then you are being just becoming less and less and less who you're supposed to be. And more and more, just a copy of this world. So I want to be transformed. But I want to say to you, that's not only true of an individual. That is also true of a community of faith. Every community of faith, God has purposed and planned as a representation of His glory for a specific time and a specific place. This body, Hatfield, has been called and ordained and purposed by God to represent something of His glory. And we have a uniqueness in that. That doesn't make us better than any other church. Or less than any other church. It just, that's our unique thing. And our job and our task is not to conform. To just become like the world or like every other place in every other church. But it is to allow the Spirit of God to transform us continuously into that which He has called us to be. And I believe we're in a season now where God is saying, believe and obey. We need to hear what God is saying to us as a community. And we need to hold that and, and form our belief system around that. And we're taking a bit of time as a community and saying, Lord, speak to us. Speak to us through, through our series in the book of Acts, through our series in, the, in, in Wisdom for Life that we did in Proverbs and all the other talks that we're doing and considering. It's all about coming back to the Word and saying, Lord, what do you want us to believe as Hatfield? And out of that was birthed this community on a mission plan and and process that we're busy with, but it's about first of all saying, Lord, what must we believe? And then that belief must step over into action, obedience. And a big part of that obedience is to release, to let go of certain things. That's what the word sacrifice means, isn't it? When I sacrifice, I let go of some things. And last week I said it's when we let go of some things, we make space for God to do new things. But if we hold on to that which we're comfortable and used to and that which we think is important, then we won't make space for what God wants to do. And then all we can do is just conform. But if we make space by letting go, God can transform us. And I believe God is busy doing a transforming work with with us as individuals, but also with this body. And He's saying, I'm transforming you. God is pouring out new wine among us and He's saying, I need a new wineskin for the new wine. Will you allow me to transform you? And I want to thank you as a community and as a congregation for the way that you support and hold with us in the Spirit. That space for God to allow to do new things among us. And, and we've all been through some changes and, and things are still changing and there's, there's some difficulties that comes with changing and we don't like it and, and we think that think certain things are You know, we may even think, oh, it's falling apart because this is not what it used to be. But can we hold in the Spirit? Can we carry that in the Spirit for a while to say, Lord, we want to be transformed into that which your plans and thoughts are. And I, I think the Scripture that says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard that which God has planned. And that, that's a wonderful scripture, but it's also a challenging scripture, because sometimes that means that when God is announcing something new and He's starting to do it, you don't understand it. You, you struggle with it. But God is doing something new, not only in this church, but in our city, in our nation. I don't think any of you will have a problem if I say to you today, this nation is in desperate need of transformation. Amen? But you know that that begins with us. We need to be the spearheads. We need to be the one that walks first into the transformation so that the transformation can come. So therefore, we have to you know, put on our big boy shoes and, and say, Lord, we're ready. And in that, we prepared to let go. we prepared to put on the altar certain things that we've always held and that we've enjoyed and that we've appreciated and that has meant so much to us. But Lord, we're a living sacrifice. Otherwise, we get stuck somewhere. And I believe that's what Paul is saying when he speaks to us as Romans 12. But these are not very spiritual things that we can so easily put in that category of, this is for the church and life in church. But can I tell you, these are very real things. And I want to step further and look at Romans 12, verse 3 from today and talk about how does this transformation happen and impact our lives. Now, let's read together. Romans 12, verse 3. Now remember Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. But do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind or the renewing of the spirit of your mind. And then he says, "For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, I, I want to be honest with you today. Hopefully I'm always honest, but I really want to be honest with you today. Really, true as, true as Bob. Nani cupela. I'm being honest with you today. When I read the scriptures often, Romans 12, 1 and 2, it always felt to me like, man, this is the big stuff. This is amazing. Wow. This is like, you know, dealing with the big things, you know, living sacrifice and worship and do not be conformed. And then he says, but don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. It was like, how do you connect these two? Now, that may just be me. It always felt to me like this lofty things of verse 1 and 2, and then he sort of steps down into the lower sort of this, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. I think, now what does that have to do with living sacrifice? And I could never really make that connection. Now perhaps you did bless God for you, and you should be preaching and I should be listening. But sorry, now it's, you know, this is the way it is, so you have to deal with it. And uh, so as I was meditating and praying through this, Suddenly a little spark happened in my mind, which I believe was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said to me, Do not be transformed, but do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? You must learn to think differently. Am I, is, am I okay? Does, do I fit your scriptural understanding? Okay. So I must change the way I think. And then he says, But do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. And I went, Ah. Oh. There's a connection. I must be transformed by, the way, by changing the way I think. Now Paul's starting to tell me how I should think differently. This was really wild for me. A little moment running around my desk. You know, like, woohoo. I get excited about the word like that. So perhaps this is old hat to you, but it really like grabbed me. I thought, wow, okay. So now in a very practical way, he's going to tell me how to think like a transformed person. And this begins by, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. So I went and studied that word, think, a little bit. And I went into the Greek and, and uh, I looked at that word. And it's an interesting word. It's the word phroneo in the Greek. Phroneo. And this is a particular, there's many words for think that is used in the Scripture and in Greek. But this specific word was used by Paul in this situation Because it carries a specific type of meaning about thinking. The word phrenio could actually be translated as to set your affections upon. To set your affections. Do not set your affections, is what he's saying. If you unpack this word a little bit further, it's to have an opinion of oneself. It is derived from the word friend, which talks about the deepest seats of our desire. So when he says do not think, what he's actually saying is do not think in a way that includes your deepest desires of more highly than your, of yourself. Don't have an opinion based on your desire of yourself. That, that's more or less what he's trying to communicate. And I want to unpack that a little bit further. The, we have a modern word that contains the word friend in it. That is the root word for phroneo, and it's the word diaphragm. Now you go, how the heck do we connect those two words? You know your diaphragm, that sort of, you know, your breathing and all of that? Because in the original, in those times, it was thought that your thinking, the seat of your thinking was right here. Hold, just put your hand on your stomach. You see, some of us think more than others. (laughs) Sorry for you very skinny people, six-packs, you don't think so well. It's just, yeah, sorry for you. If you're a thinker, (laughs) hey Mike, come on, when you're a thinker, you have a little bit of substance, you know, a little bit of weight girth, because it was felt that this was your area of thinking, not as opposed to your mind, but this was the seat of your desire. This is where what drove your life was seated here. And therefore the word diaphragm, the word that the diaphragm was that which controlled and held this into place. So that's how that connection is made. So let's go back to the word phrenio. Phrenio then therefore means to set your affection upon something. God made us with affection, desire. He made us, and this thing in our lives is very important, because He made us to rule. Remember when He made Adam and Eve? So that they would rule. That word rule, that has a, in our lives it means that each of us has this desire to achieve something, to put our stamp on something, to, to own something, to, to improve, to better things, to, to strive, is perhaps the word that I can use. It's placed in us by God, this striving ability that we have. And our desires becomes the expression of that which we strive for. And, and the reality of what each of us is we understand, like the scripture says, you are led astray by your desires. If you, if you read the scripture, when it talks about this part of us, this desire, this phroneo, it says it is the strongest thing in our lives. Is our desire to strive, to be something, to achieve, to do something. It's so strong in us, but it was given to us by God. So, if you retranslate this this verse, you can almost say the following Do not set your affection on your desire to strive for something more important than you ought to or bigger than you should. You were given by God this desire to achieve something, to commit to something. You see, as mankind, we don't live in a neutral space. We are always moving towards something, and it was made by that, that way by God. We're always trying to achieve something, and we're busy with something. We set our affections on something. So Paul says, this desire that you have, this drive, this desire to, this striving that you have in you, do not think of it more important than you ought to or of yourself in the light of that desire. So don't think your desire to strive to achieve something make it more important than what it should be. Now how do you do that? How do you not, how do you control, or what must you do with this desire, the striving to achieve something? Now first of all, I think we'll understand that this desire, to, this striving in us was given to us by God, to bring glory to Him. When Adam and Eve was to rule in the garden, they were to do it as representatives of God, that they were to run and administer and and care for and cultivate the land and steward the land in a way that represented God, as if God was doing it Himself. He said, I'm not going to cultivate the land. I'm not going to name the animals. I'm not going to take care of things. I'm going to give you the authority and the power to do it on, on my behalf. But the idea was that they would do it in a way that would glorify God, that would represent God. So their work, their striving was to glorify God, was to position and do things in a way that represented the way God wanted things to be done. So they formed this partnership. And that's still the partnership that God wants with every human being is to say, I've given you a desire to strive, to improve things, to to put your mark on things. But it's supposed to be done to bring glory to, to the Father, not to yourself. But because of sin, the breakdown that happened is we started using our desire and our striving for our own glory. And we cut God out of the picture. So we get to a place like the Tower of Babel. And we've spoken about that before, where the people came together and said, let us build for ourselves a structure. And remember I spoke to you about that before, and I said it was to give themselves a name. It was birthed out of this desire to strive and improve and and do things, that they built the Tower of Babel to say, look at us, what we can achieve. And God said it's evil. Because everything we build to bring glory to us will bring pain down the line. Because we were not meant to be in that position. We cannot hold the position of glory. Only God who is perfect can hold the position of glory. So when I give my life and this ability, this striving that I have, and I first of all give it to God, I bring things into the right place. Now this striving ability that we must also understand is this has a very strong directional quality in our life. In this phroneo word, this concept is is carried, where where it says basically this, because this is my inner desire, this is what I think about, it'll determine how I live my life. In this sense, that this desire that I have, this striving, is, is what is connected to what it means to be successful. So we are made to want to be successful. And that's a godly thing. You can take that further to say we are made to be winners, to win. It's a godly thing. To improve, to, to do things better, and in that way to, rep, to honor God. We're made with this desire to win. But because of our fallen state, and we've taken and we want to use this no longer for God's glory, but for our own glory, our desires have become about ourselves. And our desires have become about how can I be successful, how can I win, as opposed to how can God's kingdom be successful and how can God win. It is now how can I be successful and how can I win. And if this is the direction of my life, if this is the thinking, that I'm taking, then this thinking, this this desire that is turning over within me will produce through my thinking, will produce actions. Because remember when we studied the book of Proverbs and we, we quoted that scripture that said, as a man thinks so easy, that's the scriptural idea, that this desire drives my thinking and this thinking drives my actions and how I do things. Because I'm acting in a way that says, if I do this, it will get me ahead. It will cause me to be a winner. It will make me successful. So it determines how I act. And the pattern of this world is based on this. Remember, we've got to choose which pattern we live by. Do we live by the pattern of the kingdom or do we live by the pattern of the world? The pattern of the world is all about... And what's why it's attractive to us and why we allow it in our lives is because it tells us if you do things this way, you will win and you will win quickly. So we, we tie into this because it's about us. It's about making us win. And, and we take actions and we do things. Not only do we, does it determine our actions, it also determines our alignments. In other words, who do we choose to align our lives with? Who do we make our friends? Who do we become allies of because they will help me win? Have you ever played that? Do you remember that game when you were at school and you were going to play some sport and they had to choose teams? And they would be the two guys that would be, or the two girls, and they would be put out because they were normally the, the best of that if it was cricket or soccer or rugby or netball or whatever you're going to play. And they would say, now you each choose one. And then you've chosen one, then you choose one. So that that if I was never in that position where I was the guy that had to choose. Okay, but let's say for a moment, in my dreams, I was the guy. I would choose, the first person I choose, I would choose as the person that would give me the best chance of winning and succeeding at this game. Am I right? That's generally how it worked. So I would choose, then the next one, and so we choose until somebody like me remained. (laughs) Standing at the end there looking like, I don't know if I really want to be here. You know, some, and then they'd go, ah, oh, you take him. No, no, you take him. So then suddenly they become very nice to each other. No, no, you take him. And, and I become like a liability. Why? Because they think that, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna affect my chances to win and be successful negatively. And that's what we do in life with this desire that we have, this desire to, to be successful and to win. We choose who we will align with so that they will increase our chances to win. And this is the way we live our lives. Now in the midst of that, all of that comes out of the word frenoio. And it was unpacked by a guy by the name of Winström. So this is not all me, this is quoting him. Paul writes, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't elevate your desire to be successful to a place where it shouldn't be. That's the first place to start if you want to be transformed and be a person that brings glory to God. What do you do with your desire to win and be successful? How does your thinking need to change? Then he carries on. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But, so in other words, here comes the change. Rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Sober judgment is only possible if I understand God's frame of judgment. How does God judge things? If I can see the way God sees things, then I can judge things the way He judges things. So how does God judge whether I'm a winner or not? Am I successful or not? How does God judge? If I can decide what that is, I can, in a sober mind, judge according to the way God judges. But my challenge is God and I, we are at odds. We challenge these things differently. We judge these things differently, sorry, if I'm built according to the pattern of the world as if God, and if God is according to the pattern of the kingdom. So this becomes my job. I think of Peter. Remember, there was a day in Matthew 16. where where Jesus was telling his disciples about what was going to happen. He said, look, guys, I want you to know, I'm preparing you now. I'm going to have to die. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be beaten. It's going to get horrible, and I'm going to have to die. It's, you know. What Jesus was saying is, for the kingdom to win, this is what I must do. Now, Peter stands up and he says, no, no, Jesus. He takes Jesus aside, actually, and he rebukes Jesus. He says, how can you say that? How can you say that that is the way the kingdom is going to win? How can you say that that is the right thing to do? Stop it now. Stop talking like that. We can only win if you arise, rise to the seat of authority. I'm putting words in Peter's mouth, but you understand. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. How did Jesus respond? Did he say, oh, thank you, Peter. Oh, you're such a great guy. You just have my best interest in the heart. I know you're going to protect me, and I know you're going to cut the guy's ear off. And Oh, I'm so thankful. Thank you, Peter. You've got my back, boy. Yes, it's wonderful. How did, what did Jesus say to him? <clears throat> I'm reading from the Scripture. This is now not me. This is the Scripture. Get behind me. You said it. I don't know if I'll ever utter those words to somebody. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. So he's saying to Peter, you are not helping in this situation. I'm telling you I have to die because that's the way the kingdom is going to win. Because Philippians 2, now Jesus didn't quote Philippians 2 because Philippians 2 wasn't written yet. But Philippians 2 is going to say that God, that Jesus, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but took on the form of a man, a very servant, and came and lived among us. The kingdom could only win through a servant what Jesus was saying. And remember when he sat them down the day before he was going, you know, going to the crucifixion at the Passover meal, he took on the little cloth and he put the towel around himself and he started washing his feet and he said, this is the way that you must lead. The only way the kingdom is going to be successful and the kingdom can only win is if the greatest among you become the least of these. Now Peter says, no, 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 no. That's not going to cut it. That's You don't know this world, Jesus. You've only been here for a while. We've been here for generations. I can tell you now, it's not going to work. Jesus says, you do not have your mind set on the pattern of God. You are filled with the pattern of this world. And he says to them these words in verse 24. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Can you see the link now? of how we think of ourselves and being a living sacrifice. Because if we're going to establish the pattern of the kingdom, it runs on a completely different thought pattern than this world. Completely. So here we are with this challenge. Paul carries on Romans 12, verse 4 to 6. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function... So in Christ, though many though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Paul says, if you want to bring glory to God, you have to first of all take your desire and put it on God and say, Lord, it's not about me, it's about what you want. And then secondly, very practically from that place, you then say, how do I use what you've given me so that the kingdom can win by serving other people? You see, because the kingdom works on this principle, it's not I that matters, it's we that matters. The kingdom, Christianity, is a team sport. It's not whether I wins that will achieve the kingdom's success at the end of the day. It's whether we win that will achieve kingdom's success. I win within the us. And that's a major place where the kingdom and the world starts departing from one another. What Paul is actually saying here is he's saying... You must use your ability to strive. The gifts that God has given you that will get you ahead in life, the gifts of the Lord that are irrevocable, the gifts that will open up for you, the the paths of life that will give you, that will provide for you, those gifts that God has placed in you are for His glory and for the service of the kingdom. And the only way the kingdom is going to win and be successful is if each of us learn to bring our affection and and serve others with it and to say it's not about me winning now that doesn't mean i lose it just means we win the world is built on an idea of i must get ahead and for me to get ahead you must lose it's a win lose situation some people call it a zero sum game zero-sum game. Can I have a... Pastor Seth, will you... Well, he's left. Ben, will you come quickly? I need a, just an illustration quickly. I've got 100 rand with me this morning in the form of 250s. Now, I want Ben to win. He's got nothing. He's got... He has, have you got anything there, Ben? Nothing, okay. He's got nothing. So Ben's got nothing. I've got something. How does Ben win? How do I help Ben win? If the kingdom is true, the kingdom's success is not about me winning. I've got 100 rand. Hehe! <laughs> I've got 100 rand. He's got nothing. How does the kingdom win with my 100 rand? Now, there's a couple of ways I can do this. First of all, I can take my whole 100 rand and give it to him. Hold on to that lightly. <laughs> I can give my whole 100 rand to him. And that's legitimate. There's times when that's the right thing to do. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Because there's times where we have to recognize, even in our own country, that there's people that have been left behind by society and by our system, and they will never get ahead in life. They will never win because everything's against them. In our, in our nation, thank God for the grant systems we have and different things. And it's supposed to help address this issue that if I don't help him, the, right now, think of the people in Neisner, that houses got burnt. Some of us need to be prepared to say, I'm going to give you stuff. And that, that's legitimate and that's right for us to do that. I give him my hundred rand. Another way that I can deal with the problem is to say, thank you very much. <laughs> I'm going to keep half of my hundred and I'm going to give another for half to him. Now in that way, at least I've got something. But now we're equal because both of us have 50 rands. That's also a legitimate thing to do. There's times when that's the right thing to do. When I distribute wealth and when I say, I recognize that you've been disadvantaged and the only way that I can help you is that if I share what I have and I help and we come together. It's legitimate, it's right. But in both these scenarios, there's a slight problem, which is, In this scenario, how much money do we have? It's not a trick question. How much money do we have? I have zero, he has? A hundred. So we've just swapped places. In this scenario, how much money do we have? A hundred. I have 50, he has 50. This is good. This is no problem with it. But now let's say we want to continue this. So I take my fifty. And I give 25 to Neil, and I keep 25 to myself. He does the same. He gives Sisley 25 and keeps 25 to himself. How much money do we have? 100. Are we winning? No, we're not winning. We are equal, but we are all equally losing. This is the reality. In the kingdom. Thank you, Ben. You can go have a seat. Why don't you give Ben a hand? I'm not talking economics and capitalism and socialism and all of that stuff. Forget that. In the kingdom, this is our reality. My father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He created this world and he said, it is good. He said, go forth and multiply. My father says that I will take care of everybody. My father does not have and have not. He does not possess. Some must have and some must not have mentality. My father is about everybody must have. My father is about creating a win for everybody, for letting to everybody say, "How can I bring you?" Now I've used money, and I, I, I was wrestling whether I should that do that because that'll just zero. It's not about money; it's about anything in life. Will I use my gifts to serve, to create wins for everybody? See, and this is the amazing thing of the kingdom. Everything I have in the kingdom is a seed. If I keep it to myself, I'll never win and nobody else will win because I'll just keep what I have. I'll conform. But if I take what I have and I sow it as a seed, my gift, my creativity, something new can happen. And we can start winning. And that's the challenge of the kingdom. So Paul says, If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is a teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead or to provide for others, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, this is not an exhaustive, complete list. He's just using examples. And we often take a list like this and we apply it in the church and we, and we put the spiritual gifts. But can I tell you, these are representations of gifts that God gives to everybody on this planet, in the church, outside of the church. And what Paul is saying that is, if you want us to win, then take your gift and serve others with it. Tomorrow, one minute to 11, where will you be? If you're at work, in a classroom, what has God gifted you with? Do you have the gift of prophecy? Do you know what the gift of prophecy is? The gift of prophecy is to shine light on something that is hidden. Can you use that gift at work without having to say, thus saith the Lord. Our finances are in trouble because this person is not paying us what we owe. Therefore, if you, my children, will send out another invoice with a sternly worded letter attached to it, I will provide for you. No, no. You can just shine light and operate in a gift tomorrow, this time in your workplace. But you can only do that if you have a kingdom mentality that says, I want us to win. The hope for our nation is not that some win and others lose. It is the kingdom because the kingdom provides a base that says we can all win. Because our Father is more than enough. Now that needs to be done in responsible ways. The environment is part of that, how we manage and look after our environment. It's not for humans to win and the environment to lose. Then we just have the same problem. The book of Romans was partly written because there was a problem in the early church in that there was a fight developing between the Jews and the Gentiles. And us and them mentality was starting to develop. Must we do it the way we want to do it as the Jews, or must we do it the way the Gentiles must to do it? Must Gentiles be circumcised before they can become Christians? And fights were starting to take place. And Paul writes in the midst of that, and he says, you're misunderstanding the mindset of the kingdom. The mindset of the kingdom is never us and them. It's always us. The lines between God and his enemy is not drawn between people. It's drawn, Ephesians 6. For our enemies are not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. The the them, the only them we can talk about are those fellows, the kingdom of darkness, principalities and powers. Everybody else, we say, the kingdom wants to include. The kingdom finds ways to say, I want you to enjoy the favor and the blessing of my Father. That's the kingdom's mentality. Do you and I have a kingdom mentality? Or are we patterned after this world? And we fall into this striving that I must win and I must get ahead. Or do I have the heart of Jesus that says, Lord, I'll give you everything I have so that the kingdom can win. I'm a living sacrifice. We want to start a little campaign and we'd like to invite you to join us in that social media campaign. If you go onto our social media, you'll start seeing. We would would like you to take a photo, selfie at work, and hashtag my worship station. Last week, or worship station, not my worship station, worship station. And if you put that, there's Jabu serving coffee. How many of you have been blessed by Jabu serving coffee? Do you feel the sense of the kingdom when you get a nice cup of coffee? Just how can I do my work every day to glorify God with some heart and a mentality that says, I'm here to serve and to bless If I'm the CEO of a company, the driver of a truck, how do I bless, serve, bring glory to God? And if you can do that, just put that hashtag on your photo and send it to us of your worship station, your place at work where you engage every day, which you are using for God's glory. And join us in that campaign and put that photo up. And let's see and let's celebrate all the amazing places where God is being worshipped every day throughout the week. Won't you stand with me if you. Will you just open your heart? Thank you, Mike. Will you just open your heart this moment? And I just want to say these words to you, as Paul says to, to all of us He says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Can you this morning say, Lord, here I am. These are the things I set my affections upon. This is the hope for my life. This is how I want to win. This is how I want to be successful. Today, I put that on the altar. And I know, Lord, it's not that you don't want me to win. You want me to win. You gave me this desire. But your word says, We must give you the desires of our heart. Lord, I set my affection upon you, first of all. I set my affection upon you. I recognize, Lord, I can only win if you win. And then within that, I say, Lord, I, whatever you've blessed me with, Father, I put on the altar and I say, use it, Lord, for, the, for your kingdom. Let me serve others. Let me set my affection on others. Let me be like Christ. If that's your heart, just say yes, Lord. Just say yes, Lord. I set my affection on you. I give what I have, what you've given me in the first place, and I say, use it, Lord so that we can win. And Lord, we pray for our nation. We recognize that there are forces in our nation that's trying to pull us apart and to create a rift between us and them in so many different places and ways, Father, along so many different lines. We see that happening. The enemy comes to divide. But Lord, the only way we can win is if we win, Lord. And I pray for each of us as your representatives in this world, every one of us, tomorrow in our workplace, in our family, in our place of sport, wherever we go, Lord, that we would represent this idea of our Father that says it's not us and them. It's not a win-lose world. This is a win-win world. Give us that generosity of heart. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please use the hashtag, show us your worship station. It'll be great if we can pray with you today. Just come to the front. Our pastoral team will be here with you. There's something in your heart that you want to just be ministered to, sacrifice. If you need prayer for healing, come, let us pray with you. Our Father has more than enough for you, and He wants to bless you and be with you. So may the Lord bless you. Have a great week.